If you're visiting with us, we pray that you felt at home, and we pray that you've been able to just uh, partake of the presence and the Spirit of God, and already pray you found some refreshing. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and I want to actually use as my primary text today, we're going to be in a couple of places, but I want to start in Acts chapter 1 and read from the words of Jesus to his disciples. It's interesting to me, and this thought just crossed my mind as we were ending the worship time there. The, everything in Israel's life, everything in the Old Covenant, kind of rotated not only around the temple, around the worship there, but it rotated around feasts and festivals. If you read the Old Testament, you read how vital it was. As a matter of fact, it was commanded of the people that they observed this feast and they observed that feast and during this time of this feast for so many days no work could be done and they would have to come and gather in certain ways in certain places and, and, and honor the Lord and every feast and every festival would do one of two things. It would either point their attention back to something that God had already accomplished or it would point their attention forward to something that God was about to do. Every part of their life, every season that they were in, God continually, through these feasts and festivals, kept their attention looking at the faithfulness of God beforehand, what he's done before, and what he had promised to do. And thinking about that, I wonder how important it would be for you and I, how good it would be for you and I if every day we would take a little time to look back. No matter what's going on in our life, if every day we would take some time to just stop and spend some time in thanksgiving and gratitude, thanking God for his faithfulness that's come before. Thank you, God. I remember the day that I didn't know where I was going to go or how we were going to make it through this situation, and yet, God, you answered that prayer. And here I am today, and I just want to take time to acknowledge that you answered that prayer, and I want to say thank you. God, I remember that time that I was so sick, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and yet, and the doctors couldn't seem to help me, but we prayed. And, and now here I am. And I thank you, God, that sickness is gone. I thank you, God, that I'm whole. I want to take time to thank you for what you've done. And then after we've spent the time that we feel like we need to spend in gratitude and thanksgiving looking back, wouldn't it be an awesome thing before we ask God for anything at all, if we would then look forward and say, God, I thank you that your word promises that no matter what my day looks like today and no matter what my week looks like and no matter what this year looks like, I thank you, God, that I have the promise that your Holy Spirit abides with me, that, Jesus, you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. God, that your word, Lord, is a powerful, powerful promise that cannot be chained. Lord, that you watch over your word to bring it to pass. Father God, I thank you that one day, no matter what this world looks like, you're coming again, that this is not all there is for me. One day that eastern sky is going to be split wide open and a great trumpet's going to sound and all those who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord with those who are coming out of their graves who are believers and we will forever be with the Lord and we will rule and reign with Christ Jesus for all of eternity. God, I don't care how bad my day is today. I thank you, God, that is my future. Wonder what our days would be like if every day we would take time to look back and if we would take time to look forward. But today is Pentecost. And the good news is we're not just looking forward to some great outpouring. We're looking back to an outpouring that has already come. 
and that we live in today. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, after his resurrection, and after he's appeared to the disciples at different occasions, and the Bible actually says at one point he appeared to over 500 people after he was resurrected from the dead. So it's not like just a few people saw Jesus resurrected. Hundreds and hundreds of people were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he's about to ascend into the heavens, and before he does, he brings his disciples and his followers together. And in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, it says, And being assembled together with them, and I love the fact that Jesus is always with them. Because that's what he came for. Sin had separated us from the presence of the Father, and Jesus came to do something about that. Jesus came to once and for all deal with the sin problem for all who would believe, so that from that point forward, that those who received him and were given the right and the power and authority to become children of God, that nothing ever again could separate us from the presence of the Father. He came to remove every obstacle from the presence of God being with us. So Jesus, how often you think about John and James and all the disciples. Remember the time that John and James asked Jesus, could they, one of them sit on his right hand and one of them on his left? At the, you know, actually one time, one gospel says they got their mother to do it for them. You know? And of course, understandably, it made all the other disciples mad. And they started bickering among themselves about who was the greatest. And we see this little phrase that we read quite often. Jesus called them all together. With him. You read the, the Gospels and you think about the fact that Jesus went up in a solitary place before he ever chose the disciples and called them to himself to pray. And then he went out after that time, that season in prayer with his father, and he, he calls these disciples together. And I don't know if you've ever done any in-depth kind of study on the disciples, who they were and what their lives were like, but you could not have picked a group <laughs> with more variety, I guess. They were almost destined to fail. If you were, if you were getting any church anywhere, that got anybody together with any type of knowledge about business or, or any type of venture and how to make it work and grow, and they began to go through evaluations of who we want to put on our team, I promise you nobody would have picked who Jesus picked. Some of them, by their very nature, I'll, I'll tell you kind of the, the idea it would be today. It would be the idea of me going out and finding the most far-left liberal I could find that's always on Facebook screaming at anybody who's conservative. And then go out and find the most far-right conservative I could find who's always on Facebook screaming at anybody who's liberal and pull them together and say, hey, I want both of you on my team. That's what Jesus did. He found people that politically were so opposed that, that they would actually kill one another. And he put them on a team together. He put them together to change the world after spending all night in prayer before the Father. How could he imagine doing something like that? Now, don't, don't, don't take one little phrase I'm going to take and go put it on Facebook and say, Pastor said this. But, but what is Jesus thinking? I'll tell you what he's thinking. He's thinking that being in my presence changes everything. All you need is to be with me. Being with me makes all the difference. Do you know what's wrong with the church today? It's because we don't take enough time to be with Jesus. 
Wherever we're else doing everything else, even things for Jesus, but we're not taking enough time to be with Jesus. And because we're not taking enough time to be with Jesus, the things we're doing for Jesus are coming across wrong because we don't have the spirit of Jesus coming out in the things we're doing for Jesus because we're not spending any time with Jesus. So we can do things for people and actually be condescending and not even care about the people that we're doing things for because we don't have the heart of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus because we're just doing it for Jesus. And sometimes we're just doing it for ourselves and for whatever reputation it may build so that we can put it on Facebook and say, that we did it so that everybody can give us about a thousand likes and look at what our church is doing and look at what this Christian is doing or whatever it is. But that's not the spirit of Jesus. If we will spend time with Jesus, it'll change everything. So Jesus called them to be with him. He gathered them together with him. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of God. Now that's not... I don't know. What is Jesus thinking? Hey, I don't have a title yet, but that might be my title. What was Jesus thinking? Because you see, if I'm going to do some great venture, we got to do it now. Isn't that the modern wisdom? Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. And you know what Jesus' instruction was to these people he gathered together? Okay, first thing I want you to do, wait. Wait. Hey, everybody, we got you together. Are you ready? Wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Wait. How long? Until. Just until. I don't think that Jesus had taken the school of how to build a business. Do you know why? Because he wasn't building a business. He was building a church. He was building a living, breathing organism that would reflect who he was and how he thought and how he loved and change the world. So he said, number one, you need to be with me. And number two, you're going to need the Holy Spirit before you do anything at all. Well, no, Pastor, the reason he did that is because none of them had ever preached before, none of them had ever taught before, none of them had ever prayed for the sick before. No, 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 that's not true. You remember the time that he sent 70 of them out two by two while he was still in the midst of his ministry? And they went out and they prayed for the sick and saw them healed. And they even cast out devils. How do you know that? Because they came back excited because they cast out devils. You remember? They came back to Jesus. Like, oh, Jesus is going to be so excited about this. We cast out a devil. I wonder if Jesus has ever done this. Well, they probably knew he had. They'd seen him do it. But they come back and they say, Hey, even the demons are subject to us. To which Jesus says, Oh yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But don't rejoice in that. Well, isn't that a downer? What was Jesus thinking? I mean, you know, you, you want to really pump people up. We got to pump them up. Motivate, 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 motivate. Build momentum, 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 moment. Keep the momentum. Let that progress continue to flow. Momentum. Don't lose the momentum. Motivate, motivate. Jesus, even the demons are subject. So what? Oh, yeah, I saw Satan fall. His power has been gone a long time. Don't rejoice over that. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Relationship. You see how Jesus keeps pointing back to relationship? Away from actions. Action's good, 
but not without relationship, away from works, works motivated by the Father and anointed by the Spirit of good, but not without relationship. Jesus keeps pointing them back to relationship. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Why? Because the fact that your name's written in heaven is the only reason that demons flee from you. Demons aren't fleeing from you because you're so smart. Demons aren't fleeing from you because you're so talented. Demons aren't fleeing from you because you know how to preach something just right or lay hands on somebody just right or build up the atmosphere. Here's a good word for now this day. Atmosphere. Oh, the atmosphere. Oh, we just want to build the right atmosphere. It's interesting that Jesus never worried about the atmosphere. Jesus could walk into an atmosphere where people wanted to kill him and he could still heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead. I've actually heard people say, I can't do anything great in here because the atmosphere is not right. Really? Jesus is that weak? Wow. What was Jesus thinking sending us out into atmospheres that might be tough? No, I'm going to resist that urge. Oh, I wanted to say something, but I'm going to be good. We don't want to be, I'll just allude to it. We don't want to be anywhere where demons might be. Well, get to heaven quick because demons are everywhere, folks. <laughs> They're all over the place. Jesus didn't tell us, avoid all the demons that you can. Jesus said, cast them out. Well, <laughs> you're not going to be able to cast them out if you're never going to be willing to ever be close to where one might be. There are demons sitting in churches all over America today. Now, I'm not talking about people. I'm just saying people bring them with them. <laughs> oh, that's enough of that. Anyway, Jesus said, I'm, not, you, don't, I'm not, not, not a big deal that demons are subject to you. Of course they're subject to you. Look who you're running with. See, it's not about you and me. It's about the one that we're running with. Listen, I'm, I'm running with Jesus. If I, I'll, I'll use a little sports illusion. If me and some of my buddies walk out on a basketball court, there ain't no basketball team in America going to get any nerves shot in them. They're just going to look at us and say, hey, we're going to take them. But if I walk out on the basketball court with somebody who's actually a basketball star and knows how to play, if I walk out on the basketball court with Steph Curry or whoever may be going today and whoever may be good today, then somebody's going to take pause. It's not about me. I'm not that talented and that good. But if I've got somebody with me that by themselves can take care of business, nobody's going to want to challenge me. And you don't understand who you've got with you. You don't understand who you, And that's what we celebrate at Pentecost. You see, but Jesus left. No, but Jesus told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I, do you get that? It's to your, don't be sorrowful that I said I'm leaving. It's to your advantage that I'm going away. Because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit won't come. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will remind you of all the things that I've said. He will glorify me. He will take of what is, listen, he will take of what is mine and give it to you. Well, what is his? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. What does the Holy Spirit do? Every day he takes of what is his, which is all authority and all power, and he distributes to you if you will just understand who you have, who you're running with, and what's within you. Jesus said, I'm not leaving you orphans. I will come to you. How is he going to do that? In the person of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why Jesus said, don't leave, wait. See, it amazes me. The disciples turned the world upside down. Everywhere they went, that's what the secular world said about them. They may not have said it in a nice way. It wasn't necessarily a compliment all the time. But the, everywhere they went, they said, here are those who are turning the world upside down. Do you realize that these guys who turned the world upside down didn't even have a standard education? They had no Bible diploma, Bible college degree, seminary degree. They didn't have a board of directors with their ministry that they went back to and got direction from. They didn't have a creative team around them. They, they, didn't, they didn't have social media. They didn't have Christian television. They didn't have a Christian bookstore on the corner. They, didn't, they couldn't go order things online. They didn't have Christian music that they could plug into every time they started feeling down and get Christian music playing so that it could pick them up. They didn't have any of that. They had Jesus. They had the power and the person of the Holy Spirit actively working within them. They had the power of God. They didn't have, they, woo, they didn't even have the New Testament yet. You're telling me that we can't walk victoriously with the New Testament when they walk victoriously with the Old? Yeah, but that was different, Pastor. They were the disciples. <laughs> they were just people. Really, they were broken people. They were messed up people. People that argued with one another and couldn't get along with one another some of the time. People who put their foot in the mouth all the time. Peter. One minute, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, next minute, Jesus turns to him and says, Satan, I rebuke you. You're not speaking of the things of God. You know, he basically says the same thing to John and James. Who are the disciples you think of usually the most? Most people. When you think of disciples, what are the first three names you come up with usually? Peter, James, and John. Do you know the three disciples that Jesus actually said at one point that Satan himself was speaking through them? Peter, James, and John. Isn't that amazing? That why do you think those three names? Because those three individuals became some of the most powerful and influential apostles when? After the day of Pentecost. After the power of the Holy Spirit came to live and reside with them. After they had spent three and a half years walking with, talking with, eating with Jesus. And here's the problem. Most of us, without meaning to, we think, yeah, but they just did that for three and a half years. No. They did that for the rest of their lives. No, pastor, Jesus ascended. You're reading about it right now. Jesus ascended. Yes, but what happened 10 days later? The Holy Spirit descended and filled every one of them and lived with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of their life. And through the person of the Holy Spirit, they walked with, talked with, ate with, and lived with Jesus so everywhere they went, they went with Jesus. And everything they said, they were there saying it with Jesus. So when demons showed up to challenge them, Jesus was on the court. When they threatened their lives and tried to kill them, Jesus was there with them. When Stephen was being martyred, the first martyr of the church, he looked up into heavens and what did he say? He said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And what did he pray? He prayed, Father, forgive them what where did that prayer come from it's the very prayer that jesus prayed remember what an influence jesus still had on their life so he said don't leave 
He commanded them. This wasn't a request. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. And they had. Jesus had taught in depth. John 13 through 17, if you want to read it, Jesus taught in depth about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that was to come. He says, don't leave until the promise comes, the one you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized. That word there means immersed. That means it will completely overflow and take over you. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Well, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So sometimes it's just hard for us to let go of our old ways of thinking. Anybody figured that out yet? See, when they first started following Jesus, they thought, well, you're the Messiah. That means you're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to get rid of the heavy taxes we're paying. We're going to have freedom and autonomy in our nation again. You're going to be the political king, and we're going to sit right beside you. I don't know. Maybe I'll be a governor. Maybe I'll be this. Maybe I'll be that. And You know, we're, we're going to have this. Well, when Jesus was put on the cross, it pretty well dashed all of that. Matter of fact, most of them thought, well, I guess we can go back to our old jobs now. And some of them did. They went back to fishing. Jesus found them out there. They'd given up. But when Jesus was resurrected, their hope began to revive, and now he's telling them, wait, you're going to be filled with power. So sometimes those old ideas are hard to let go of. Say, okay, now, now you're going to take over. Now you're going to sit on the throne. Now you're going to overthrow the Roman emperor. Now our taxes are going to be removed. Now we're going to see the power. I guess it must have been kind of a dash to their hopes when Jesus just started lifting up off the ground. And he just kept going farther and farther, farther, farther. Some of them are thinking, I don't know how you're going to do that up there. So now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, I don't know what Jesus was thinking. It's not for you to know. Let me just interpret that and paraphrase that in Western Kentucky English. That's none of your business. None of your business. It amazes me how many of us, well, I would do, I would do this for God if he'd just tell me this and tell me that and do this and do that and if he'd show me how all this is going to work out. you know, If God would just show me step A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, I would go and do this. How would you like it if Jesus just showed up and said, it's none of your business, just go do what I say? Well, he already did. You know, Jesus has this crazy idea that it's not about the outcome, it's about the relationship. See, every one of those disciples who were standing there that day would die early deaths, every one of them, except for John. And that wasn't because they didn't try. They tried. Just couldn't do it. Every one of them would die early deaths. Horrible deaths. They'd all be martyred. Peter, who kept sticking his foot in his mouth during all the days that Jesus was there, actually requested when they were going to crucify him to be crucified upside down because he didn't even feel worthy to be crucified the same way his Lord was. But every one of those disciples except John would die an early death through martyrdom. And Jesus said, matter of fact, he told Peter this directly. 
when he had cooked breakfast for him on the beach. We just did a sermon on that a few weeks ago. And he, was, he gave Peter three chances to reaffirm his love for him after he had denied him those three times. And Then he talks about how some of them aren't going to die until they see his coming. And, but yet he tells Peter how he's going to be led away to a place he doesn't want to go and his hands are going to be bound. And Peter looks over at John, the beloved, the golden child. See, a lot, boy, isn't it funny? Most of us think, well, I, well our church can't do anything. And my family can't do anything. My, I, I tell you, we can't do anything because we just, we can't get unified. We can't get together. Even the disciples weren't unified all the time. Unity's important, but they, they had their little things between them. Every once in a while, you'll read scripture and you'll see it come bubbling up to the surface. And Peter looks over at John, who he apparently thinks is the golden child, and he said, well, what about him? I don't know what Jesus was thinking because it didn't come out of the success books. Because success books would say just to kind of push some positive motivation, do the sandwich thing, you know, positive, negative, positive. And Jesus just looks at him and says, that's none of your business. Just go do what I'm going to do. If I will for him to live until I come, what's that? Literally, he said, what's that to you? Do you know, some of you would not like the real Jesus. I'm way more serious than you think I'm being. You see, he don't go by the class of how to win friends and influence people. He's already done everything he could possibly do in the world to win you. And if you can't be won by his death on a cross, his burial, his resurrection, his shed blood and his suffering, then he's sure not going to coddle you into the kingdom. He said to Peter, what says, see, it wasn't going to be no coddling when they're getting ready to crucify him. And so he tells them, he said, all the times they're all in the Father's hand. Don't worry about that. It's none of your business, really. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own hands. And just as a side note, the next time you hear somebody try to say that this that's going on in the atmosphere or this that's going on in the politics or this that's going on here and there means that Jesus is getting ready to come back at a certain time or a certain season, can you please not buy the book? Don't go to get the DVDs and don't put any more money into that because Jesus said it is not for you to know the times and the seasons. And if you want to get more specific, the apostle Peter said, no man knows the day or the hour except the Father who is in heaven. So every time you listen to somebody trying to tell you he's coming back and they try to pinpoint, now I think you can know that it's getting close, but every time somebody tries to narrow it in, pinpoint, they are going to be wrong. Yes, you can mark that down. You can say I said it because I'm backed up by the word of God. They will be wrong. I don't care if they're on Christian television. They're still going to be wrong. But as long as you keep buying their books and buying their DVDs, they're still going to keep doing it because they're getting very, very rich doing so. Oh, pastor. They would never do that. Really? If somebody offered, if you knew that you had a surefire way of getting millions of dollars and then you could just say, well, I missed it, do you think you might think about doing that? I bet you would. Not me. <laughs> Jesus said, it's not for you to know. There are just some things it's not for you to know. So get this. There are going to be some things God just does not tell you. Period. 
Well, then I just don't know if I want to follow him. Well, there's why he doesn't, or at least one reason. He don't want you following him because of all the bread and the fishes. He wants you following him because you're in love with him. Because where else would you go because only he has the words of life. Because he's worth following even if you die. He's worth following if the end of your journey means being crucified upside down. He's worth following if the end of your journey means being boiled in a vat of hot oil. Yeah, I know John came up laughing, but I bet it wasn't a pleasant experience. He's worth following if everybody turns against you and tries to run you out of town repeatedly. That happened to Paul. The very people who used to celebrate him tried to kill him over and over again once he came to Christ. He's worth following if you lose every friend you've got. And see, Jesus is looking for the people who say, Jesus, I'm in this with you even when I don't understand what you're doing because you're worth following. So there's some things you're not going to know. He also says this, and this is the key, and we're almost done. But you shall receive power. Now, you've heard me say this before. You've heard other people say it. That is a, in the Greek, that word is dunamis. It's the same place we get our word dynamite from. So he's saying you will receive explosive power, power that's able to change things when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power's coming. Wait because power's coming, and you need it. Wait because power's on its way. Explosive, dynamite power is coming, and you don't need to try to do anything without it. Don't try. Listen, that ought to be, that could be a message by itself. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't try to do this on your own. You ever read the, the things, that, the, the, even toys and stuff, they'll come, you read the directions, says don't do this. Adult, uh, what's, what's the wording? Uh, that's been a long time since I've put together any toys. Uh, uh, adult uh, re- supervision required. There we go. Don't try to do this without somebody that knows what they're doing involved with it. Adult supervision required. Well, that's not referring to me, Pastor. Suffer the little children, let them come unto me. Unless you receive this kingdom like a little child, you will by no means enter in. Jesus says we're all like sheep. Guess what? It requires the presence of the Holy Spirit for you to get anything done because we don't know how to do it without him. Oh, but pastor, I've been in church for a long time. That don't mean anything. That just means you may have had 50 years how to figure out how to do it wrong and call it right. We need the Holy Spirit. That's why he said don't leave. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me. That word there literally is translated living martyrs. What was Jesus thinking? That doesn't sound like something you want to say to people who you want to be your disciples and follow you for the rest of their lives. And isn't it different than the way we describe the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Oh, man, especially Pentecostals. Oh, hoo, hoo, hoo. I'm not making fun. Everybody's got, you know. I've done some of that myself in my day. Probably do it again tomorrow. But that's what we think the Holy Spirit's for. Isn't that amazing? 
I just wish I could feel the Holy Ghost again. Just want feel the Holy Ghost. That's, that's what we think the Holy Spirit's for. Feel something. Those goosebumps that we get. No, Pastor, bless God, I know better. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit comes all about the tongues. Bless the Lord. Thank God, spoken tongues back such and such a day, got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Spoken tongues, and that's what it's about. You're wrong. You sound pretty matter-of-fact about that. Absolutely, you are wrong. How do I know? Because Jesus said so. Oh, well, it's not about tongues, it's about the gifts. Bless God, it's about the gifts, hallelujah. Like that healing, those prophecies, and, 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 you know, discerning of spirits and all the gifts of the Holy Ghost. That's what it's about. You're wrong. You're wrong. How can you say that? Because Jesus said so. Well, brother, so-and-so, well, Jesus trumps him. Doesn't he? Wouldn't it be nice if we just went back to what Jesus said? See, here's what we've got. We've got a lot of churches filled with a lot of demonstrations of a, a byproduct, a good thing that the Holy Spirit can introduce while we miss the real reason that the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit came to make you and I living, breathing martyrs for Jesus. That means I'm dying. What did the Holy Spirit come for? Because you're going to have to die to your flesh every single day to be powerful and live the life Jesus has called you to do. You cannot do that by yourself. So the Holy Spirit comes to enable us to die Every day, again, and again, and again. That every time my pride pops up, the Holy Spirit is there to enable me to put it down. That every time selfishness pops up, the Holy Spirit is there to enable me to put it down. That every time the flesh pops up, my Holy, the Holy Spirit is there to enable me to put it down. The Holy Spirit makes me, and if I have to die, what if persecution comes? If I have to die, then the Holy Spirit is there to enable me to do whatever it requires me to do to every day be a living, walking, breathing dead man for Jesus Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit comes. Do we, are there gifts that come? Does he bring gifts when he comes? Yes, glory to God. That's extra. I don't know about you, but I like extra. When I had people in my family who used to be, be gone for a long time or something, it's not unusual for them to come in and bring some little gift with them. Might be food. Might be something to put on a wall. Something else. But I'm glad, you know, it's, it's great. I'll take all the extras. But wouldn't it be offensive? Wouldn't it be really rude if somebody showed up at your house that you hadn't seen in a long time and they had a gift to bring? And you just left them at the door and picked up the gift. Oh, this gift is so cool. Oh, man, I'm so glad you brought me this gift. This is the coolest thing, and they're still at the door. You forgot all about them. All you see is the gift. That's the charismatic church in America 95% of the time. I'm sorry, but it's true. Jesus comes. Holy Spirit moves. And here we get this gift. And we're jumping over the gift. We're celebrating the gift. The gift's great. That's the extra. Nothing wrong with the gift. I'm sorry to say 75% of the time we leave Jesus standing right over there. See, I, get, don't get me wrong. I believe in every one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their modern day operation. I always have, do now. Plan to do that until I go to heaven. But hear me. I don't care. How many times you can prophesy? 
if you can't love somebody that's hard to love. And I don't care how many times you run laps around a church building if you can't forgive somebody. I don't care how many times we speak in tongues or how long if you can't have a desire to live right with God. Because, see, we're missing it somewhere. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to enable the disciples to be living, breathing martyrs. And that's just not for a select few Christians somewhere in a certain church on a certain square in town. It's for every Christian because their bodies are the dwelling places of the Holy Ghost. And he comes to do the same thing in every child of God. He said when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be living martyrs, living witnesses to me. And where? In church, bless God. See, that's, that's many times a charismatic. That's where we put it. All our stuff happens in church, right? Or at camp meeting, or at convention, right here. And I, I, we had some things happen at the altar today. Isn't that wonderful? Again, that's a gift. But where did he say this would happen? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. To those disciples who were all Jews, some of those places weren't filled with Jewish folk. And they didn't even believe in that. Oh, wait a minute. You mean we got to go there? You mean we got to talk to them? Oh, they would never feel that way. Really? The disciples, <laughs> the Jewish people of Jesus' day would literally go around Samaria and take a, almost a day's extra journey just to avoid seeing a Samaritan. Because there, there was so much hatred between the two. And Jesus made people so mad. But let me just give you one example. He tells this little parable one day. We love it. It's a great parable, but we totally miss what the people who were listening to it felt. He tells this story about this man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead. You know the story. And this Levite comes by. And this priest come by. Now, guess who the Levites and the priests were? Oh, they were the superstars of Jewish religion. They were the high up-the-ups of the Jewish religious church. And they pass by, and they see the man bleeding and broken. They just pass right on by. And then this other guy comes by. And he gets off, and he tends to the wounds of the man, pours in oil and wine, takes care of the wounds, drops him off at an inn, tells the innkeeper, take care of him till I come back, What? Whatever it costs, put it on my account, and when I come back, I'll take care of it. And guess who he was? He was a Samaritan. We call him the Good Samaritan, and we tell those stories in our Bible schools, and, our, and, we just, and it is a great story, and it's wonderful, and we fail completely to understand how everybody who heard Jesus would have felt when he said that. They would have been so mad they could have cast stones at him. See, we don't realize how revolutionary and radical Jesus was because we look at the Bible through 2019 Western American eyes, and we fail to remember who Jesus was actually talking to. The day that Jesus told that story, the people that heard that story would rather have killed him than listen to him say that a Samaritan could be better than a Levite or a priest. What he actually was saying is, you know what? There are some areas that you're not going to get this, and those who you think are so far beneath you, they're going to come in and understand they're going to get it right. It was a radical message, actually. And we fail to understand the significance of it. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to energize you to even go and love people that you don't even want to love. Do you get that? You know, the proof in the pudding 
It's not the churches that we attend and how nice the structures are. It's not the music that we play. It's not the songs that we sing. It's not how good of a preacher the preacher is. It's not how many podcasts we listen to. It's not our social media presence. The proof of the pudding is not the gifts that operate in our services. It's not the numbers we put on a board. It's not the amount of offerings that anybody at any church brings in. The proof of the pudding is can you love the people that the last thing you want to do is love those people? Can you care enough about people that you can't stand to let the love of Jesus flow through you when you least want to do it? Because you see, if the Holy Spirit's at work in you, that's what he came to do. Because you know why? Only dead men can do that. See, if you've got any of your flesh living in a life, if you've got any of your pride living in a life, if you've got any of your selfishness living in a life, if you've got any of your self-preservation holding on to you, you will not do that. You can't do it. But if you can die, you can be what Jesus called you to be. And that's what the Holy Spirit came for. Now, the good news is, <laughs> you get a lot of gifts that go along with it that are wonderful. Who wouldn't like to have some discerning of spirits in nowadays? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to tell if, when you meet somebody if it's the Spirit of God or a, a wrong spirit operating in their life? That's the gift of discerning of spirits. Wouldn't that be a great gift? Anybody who says, I don't want the gifts, I'm like, have you ever read what they are? I tell you what that person's thinking, 90% of the time they think, I don't want tongues, because that's the only thing they think about is tongues. That's just one gift. That's just one. That's all. One. Have you ever read what the others are? Who, who couldn't handle a word of wisdom from time to time? I don't like that stuff. That's because you've only seen it on Christian television. I wouldn't like that either. Good grief. Somebody come up here and get all flamboyant and, you know, move around in some weird way and have to say, thus saith God, and change their voice. For goodness sakes, what school do they go to that teaches you you have to change your voice to talk for God? To me, that's fake anyway. You know, you just, why, a word of wisdom is knowing something that you cannot normally know. You can say that in your normal tone of voice. And you don't even have to say, thus saith the Lord in front of it. Well, I want people to be impressed. Trust me, when you know something, there ain't no way you, could, they, you can know, they're going to know, and they're going to be impressed. They're going to want to know, how did you know that? And then you can tell them, well, it's because the Holy Spirit revealed that to me. Guess what? you got an opportunity to witness right there. I wonder if that might be what the Holy Spirit came for. I wonder if that might be what the gifts are more about. Word of knowledge. Prophecy. To speak the revelation of God under the power of God. A lot of us, I could never do that. I've seen people prophesy. Man, they get all red in the face. They get up and they, they have to, you know, they have to have their handkerchief and have to blow away and wave away and wave their handkerchief at people. I don't want to do it. That's not, I don't even have, I don't carry a handkerchief with me anywhere I go. The only time I ever use a handkerchief is when I'm baptizing somebody. And that's only because you're supposed to use it. Keep them from drowning or whatever the case may be. My goodness, if I tried to holler and scream like some of them do, I wouldn't have a voice tomorrow. Don't misunderstand me. If you holler and scream at people all day long at your workplace, then it's natural for you to holler and scream when you preach. So if when you go to, when you go to work tomorrow, if the first thing you say is, Bless God! Hallelujah! Give me that inventory! Hallelujah! Bless God! This is a nice car! 
for you. You're being authentic. But if you go to work some other way, and when you get in the pulpit, that's the only time you do that, I am sorry, my friend, you are fake as a $2 bill. And all you're doing is causing people who look at that to say, I don't want anything to do with that. And you know what? I don't blame them. The sad thing is, that's not God. Sad thing is, the charismatic is, I don't care how many times I preach that. Everybody lumps me together with that, and you too. So why don't we prove that there's something different? Why don't we go out in our world and actually love people? Why don't we go out in our world and forgive people? Why don't we go out in our world and not make any errors about it, but just let the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow through our lives? Because, look, wild idea. We just want to bless somebody. That it's about Jesus and about helping somebody, and not about building a reputation or everybody saying, whoo, that church is great. Wouldn't it be great if somebody said, that Jesus that they follow is great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? This is Pentecost. Pastor, this ain't Pentecost. I haven't seen anybody roll on the floor yet. Well, hang around long enough. You probably will someday. (laughs) See, that woke you up. (laughs) If I was going to be super hyper spiritual, I'd say that was God. But it wasn't. It was just a glitch in the sound. You know what is Pentecost? I must have said this many times. I'm going to say it again. This is Pentecost. Husband, if you go home and you treat your wife better than you did yesterday, if you lay down your life for your wife the way Jesus laid down his life for the church, that's Pentecost. Wife, if you go home and you submit to your husband in trust and love and you love him with everything you've got and spend all your time trying to build up and encourage him, that's Pentecost. If parents, you live your lives not just telling your kids what to do, but lovingly showing them how to live this life. Don't just tell your kids you ought to pray. Let them see you pray every once in a while. Don't just tell your kids, hey, you need to be honest and then you cheat on your taxes. You be honest. Live your life. Live this love. That's Pentecost. When that person that you've not been willing to let go of your bitterness for for the last 15 years, the next time you hit your prayer closet and the Holy Spirit says, you know, you're going to have to someday forgive them. Choosing to say, God, I don't feel anything, but I forgive them anyway. That's Pentecost. And you know the day that we begin to have, you know this person in the church today, I'm not going to name the names because I don't know who they are for you, but you know the person in the church today that you're just hoping they don't say anything to you before you leave because quite frankly, even though you go to church with them, you don't really like them that much. When the Holy Spirit says to you, you know what, that attitude is wrong and it doesn't come, you're listening to the wrong spirit and before you leave today, I want you to go over and tell them how much you love them. When you, before you leave this place today, even if you have to run down in the parking lot and chase them down to say, you know what, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. When you do that, that's Pentecost. Now, you may speak in tongues and prophesy too, and that's wonderful. All for it. But the other, that's what the Holy Spirit came to help us do. Do you know why? Because you see, if we live like that, even though Jesus physically has ascended into heaven, 
the world still sees Jesus every day through you and I. And that is what this is about. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just release this word to you. We thank you, Lord, that you've come.